Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. In this episode of Beyond 3D, Ron Fritz, CEO of Techsoft 3D, talks with four leaders of industry to discuss the future of work and the future of manufacturing in a post-COVID world. Even though there was a little bit of email with introductions, a quick one or two minute introduction about yourself and about your company and what you do, and then we'll dive right into it and see where the conversation takes us. I'm going to go clockwise on how I see the screen. So uh, Megan, how about yourself? Sure. Uh, Hi, everybody. I'm Megan West, and I am the CEO of CNC Software, and our our flagship product is Master. So if you're unfamiliar with Mastercam, it's the industry leader in the CAD CAM space. Um, so we drive CNC machine tools and we are an indirect sales company. We've got about 215 employees, but then we've got over a hundred direct resellers around the world. We're in over 80 countries. Um, and then somewhere in the neighborhood of about a thousand agencies representing us. And that includes partners, resellers, sub resellers, that kind of thing. Very excited to be here and, and nice to meet you all. Great. How about you, Mark? Uh, I'm Mark Lind. I'm the head of strategy for Eris. Uh, for those of you not familiar with Eris, we're a combination of executives and technologists from the other major providers in the PLM industry, Siemens, Dassault, PTC, doing next generation PLM, really innovating in the underlying platform to make it more scalable, flexible, and upgradable when it's heavily customized, which has been a real problem in the industry for a long time. Gotcha. About you, Sam? Um, high QA, it's a quality management system. My background started a billion years ago, co-founding uh, or co-founder of a CAD-CAM company, Simatron, probably you know the name, I can definitely as well. So we used to compete with Mastercam in Israel when, uh, what is his name? He is Solidcam today, Ambit, oh, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody solid there. I, uh, as you hear my accent, so now you know I didn't born here in Israel. So I moved here about 20 years ago, and I managed Simatron in Novi, Michigan, acquired Gipscom, you know Gipscom as well. Mm-hmm. And I did tons of lean manufacturing, and then I realized that after 20-some years, actually also PLM in between, I spun off in Israel and built Smart Team, which is now Novia, you know it. So I found out that the quality industry is so backwards, and so manual, chasing after manufacturing all the time. So I built this company about uh, eight, nine, ten years ago. We developed an engine that handled automated OCR, 2D print, and of course we moved to 3D. That's why I know the team at uh, uh, here. And we are growing very fast. We have a lot of customers today. In the last three years, more than Hedron than something. So I believe we solved a big problem in this industry. We work very nicely with PLM, PDM, ERP system. So that's a great time to be in this uh, industry, really making the change. Mm-hmm. Digitizing. How about you, Max? Yeah, my name is Max Zalowski, and um, I started Form Labs about nine years ago now. <laughs> 
and uh, we make professional desktop 3D printers. So sorry for the background noise or some construction. Some people in the printers behind you. Not printers. They're they're built in China. Um, although we're building a lot of prototypes right now in the office. Um, so we uh, yeah. So 3D printers. Um, they've been kind of hundred thousand dollar and up piece of capital equipment for most of their history. And we were the first company to make a professionally useful tool. That's sort of a desktop, like one of these ones behind us that uh, costs a few thousand dollars. And um, we're expanding into new types of printers and growing. And um, yeah, that's, that's what we're up to. Gotcha. And I'm Ron Fritz, CEO of TechSoft 3D. We, serve as strategic technology partners to companies like yours that are making software for engineering. And we, uh, one of the things we realized a little while ago is that because we work with so many software teams across the industry, that sometimes it's great to bring those folks together to have interesting conversations in a forum that doesn't really exist otherwise. So we, when I was thinking about this conversation, I was trying to pull in a group of interesting and diverse people. I mean, Mastercam obviously is right there, very close to the shop floor, on the shop floor. And so you're you're quite familiar with what people are, are really doing. Same with Sam with HiQA, but also the background with Symmetron, Mark and Eris. You know, Eris is, a, as you mentioned, in the kind of next generation PLM system working with big companies, medium companies, and small companies. And so they get to see what folks are are doing and what trends are happening in manufacturing. And then Max, of course, is the perspective on additive, but the perspective, as he just mentioned, of somebody who actually has stuff manufactured. And so that'll be an interesting conversation. So, for, so far, I can tell already it's going to be less chaotic than the presidential debates. Last night, I will, I'll be a moderator and I hope I don't have to stop people from interrupting one another. I, everyone here is pretty reasonable and I think we'll... We'll not use the same language, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so, oh, and everybody here is kind of in the east East Coast. Sam is in um, is in New Jersey, in the Jersey yep. Shore, an area I'm quite familiar with, having grown up in New Jersey. And then I think uh, Megan, you're in Connecticut, is that right? And Max and Mark are in the in the Boston area. So definitely, I actually grew up in New Jersey as well. Oh, yeah. Where in New Jersey? In, in Union County and Westfield and New Providence. Same, same. Uh, I grew up in Union County as well, Rollway and, and Roselle. Yeah, how about that? Well, the rest of you don't have to watch that trip down memory lane. We'll just, that, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Um, so as I mentioned in the email to each of you, and as, as the, the starting conversation here, there's been a lot of conversation about and speculation about whether the supply chain in the, whether the pandemic will cause the supply chain, which was so disrupted, to, to, to move. People will de-risk their supply chain and begin to manufacture things uh, more in North America again and Europe again. And I'm interested to hear people's views on whether we think that is going to happen, that is going to happen, why not, and t- t- to what degree. And we won't, don't need to go in any particular order. Uh, if somebody is something they're dying to say, jump right in. I can start. No doubt that uh, supply chain got a big impact on uh, because of the COVID-19. Uh, I, I think each one of us can bring example more than one. 
we want to release a Nissan car, you know, two months ago. And I said, well, sorry, we don't have it. We are waiting. <laughs> Should come from there, part coming from China, this coming from India. And it's like everything is stopped. And I think what will happen is like there is a first, I call it a psychology behavior by anybody. It said, okay, what we learn from this, we have to, instead of outsourcing, maybe insourcing and change the way we work today. But look, as long as the, as the COVID-19, now talking about wave two or wave one uh, didn't end yet. So, I mean, it will change to, to the extent and people will try or companies will try to find different suppliers close home once the COVID-19 will be vaccine, then it will go away. Not tomorrow. I don't believe in what this guy said yesterday. Whatever he said. Uh, it's not going to happen in November. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe next November will be after that. But uh, we have to live with it. That's the, I mean, that's the way we work and, and that's the way we manage our business. You have to live with it, period. Right. It's going to be six months, one year, whatever the case. Make sure you are ready. Now, for people who need parts, they will try to find close home. But no matter what, this the economy is impacted on this as well. So the demand is not as it was yesterday. I think generally speaking, everybody sees like 30, I would call it average 30% reduction in demand. So I'm, I'm, I think that it's not that, I mean, people are not buying. People are part of them at home, part of them in not working. So, I mean, the pressure on the supply chain is not filling up inventory like crazy. It's like yeah. almost like just on time almost. Right. Uh, so there is a compromise in, hey, I, I'm, I don't care if my customer will wait another week or two weeks or one month, as long as I don't need to do it here because it's going to cost me more. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a combination, but I'm trying to get to the point that it's a people behavior psychology. Once COVID is gone, people will forget like it didn't happen. Right. Everybody will come back the same way we worked before, looking for cheap or affordable resources, and we'll go back to outsourcing. Now, what I think will happen and should happen, and everybody talks about Industry 4.0, quality 4.0. What happened, and we experience it today, is that make sure in this time that there is much less pressure on your activities. Be ready because it's going to go. We are not going to live with it forever. It's a Mm -hmm. temporary situation. Not one month, probably one year, one and a half year. And, And be ready. So I think what what we experience is companies are putting more resources on technology right. and being more efficient, cutting costs. So, okay, it's 30% quiet more, or in some cases, 50% quiet more, and not everybody will go home. So what we're going to do now, you have time to think about your current process, how you're going to improve it. So there are pros and cons for this situation. The way I see it, people will come back to whatever they used to do before the COVID. And that's 
that's a psychology. That makes sense. Thanks, Sam. What's your point of view, Megan? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with uh, with a lot of that. I, th- I think with manufacturing, the profit margins are so small that it's just such a price-sensitive uh, industry. So, you know, regardless of, of the risk, I think manufacturers are always going to look for the lowest cost option. So if, whether that's China or whether that's, you know, outsourcing it or whether that's bringing it inside, it's, I think it's going to depend on just what that lowest cost option is. I, I agree. I think there's a lot of companies right now that are focusing on improving efficiencies so that they can become a lot more competitive with their costs, which is great. I don't think that's going to happen overnight. I think it's going to take some time for them to implement, understand, train on this Absolutely. type of to help reduce costs, but but I would love to see you know these American companies um, get to a point where where they've implemented this technology in a way that that it allows them to um, to compete on price because I really think at the end of the day that's that's where it's going to be you know if if a manufacturer can save you know a certain percentage on supplies by going to another country then they're going to do that regardless mm-hmm. of the technology of it. Of the risk, the, the real risk or the perceived risk will be secondary in their mind to the cost. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think that's what we're seeing. Mark, what are you, what, what are you hearing out there with your, your customers? Sure. Well, <clears throat> we have been hearing and seeing companies already beginning to think about how their supply chain is constructed given the geopolitical tensions that have been occurring over the past three plus years. Mm -hmm. The movement there was quite slow. It it seems the pandemic is compressing or accelerating things that were already being contemplated. You wind up with really a confluence of factors here both the political situation and the the virus pandemic, that combined with the the kind of macro trends that we're all familiar with, whether it's the smart connected products changing the dynamic in the the content of the the asset or the product, whether you're talking about increasing levels of software and electronics and connectivity in the in the, the the product or the nature of the materials advancement and things like the additive manufacturing changing the way that you can distribute your manufacturing footprint the depressed demand that was mentioned right up front we we're feeling like that has the potential to be, let's say, notched down for a while, Mm -hmm. right? Airlines not buying as many jets because people aren't doing as much travel, people not buying as many cars, people not building as many factories from the ground up. Now, the flip side of that is retooling, the, the looking for the efficiencies and the modernization there is a fundamental rethink that is beginning to happen throughout the manufacturing world at the executive level, where you're looking at the allocation of capital, the right sizing of the workforce and the the real estate footprint. Where do I have factories? Where do I have dependencies? That is, is playing out right now. So Mm -hmm. these other factors that we've been talking about are going to, 
are basically the fuel for that fire, if you will. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. At, ver- at the very beginning of the pandemic, it, the conversation was almost like, hey, should we, be, given political factors and the pandemic, should we really have so much manufacturing in China? And it, was, it wasn't very long before people realized, oh, this is actually a global situation. It doesn't matter where your manufacturing sits, it would have, it would have been impacted. And Max, you had mentioned that you guys have some or all of manufacturing in, in China. So you have a really on, on the ground point of view. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I think we, we actually have, um, for a small company, we have a pretty good diverse view of it because um, we do our hardware manufacturing primarily in China through, it's not quite consumer electronics sort of supply chains, but close then our materials we actually make in our own plant in the U.S. and Ohio. Many of our competitors are sort of more industrial equipment made, um, you know, local to where those companies are, are headquartered. So we sort of see these um, different different parts, and each part has been affected pretty differently. I, I think the like the broadest view I have um, is that in general, COVID is accelerating most sort of forms of disruption in most industries. Um, it's basically the you know, software eating the world, more digital interfaces to everything. That's obviously you know, the, the trend for decades and, you know, and still has decades left to go. And to, in most cases, you know, outside of like specifically in travel or leisure or whatever, COVID is, is pushing those things along uh, so like, you know, we, we, um, uh, and when it comes to manufacturing, I think that's the case too, including outsourcing. I think this is long-term only going to accelerate those trends, um, because companies are learning to be less present on their manufacturing floors, even when they're in, you know, in the same town, they're mm-hmm. figuring out how to, how to work without that. And that's the thing that obviously, you know, high volume, Consumer goods have figured that out a long time ago, but sort of lower volume, more industrial goods, they're, they're now figuring that out too, that like they can get by. Um, there's some disadvantages, but, uh, you know, the disadvantages are shrinking. So I don't think manufacturing is coming back to the U.S. in a big way on any mm-hmm. any time frame. Any big scale, yeah. A couple of people mentioned this accelerated digitization and how you know covid basically took things that should have been happening and disrupted and accelerated that that push and that's affecting all industries not just manufacturing and then you know a couple people mentioned how you have time to rethink how you do do things you have a little bit of reduced demand and you're maybe forced to rethink how you do some stuff some some stuff that just was that's just the way we do it that's just the way it's done in manufacturing and now all of a sudden um, there's the impetus to change it. So let's say, let's look look ahead, I don't know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what things, if this group got back together, what things would we laugh about? Like, remember how, the way it used to be done? Like, remember when phones used to be connected to a wall with a cord? Or remember when you used to have to get up and manually change the channel and there were only four TV channels? What's, what are those things going to be in manufacturing? Like, remember when it, it's going to seem so ridiculous, I think it's so interesting. I, I, so, so for those of you that don't know, my dad is the one that started the company. So he's got a lot of history on, on, you know, how manufacturing, you know, how the whole process worked. 
And he always talked to me about how he would get orders on a fax machine. Or when mm-hmm. he first started, it was he would mail a letter to Japan and wait a few weeks for it to come back. And I kind of think trade shows is going to be one of those things. You know, the, the idea of everybody spending all of this money and all of this time to go set up a booth for people to come, you know, and meet with you. I think that's one of the things that's really going to change. You know, we have shifted to virtual and by that we've been able to reach a way larger audience. Um, but I think the interesting part is that, you know, the, my perspective on it is that I use the, the term permission. I think this has given us the permission to disrupt. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were to be the only company to have pulled out of a trade show, even if we didn't think it was that valuable, you know, our, our lack of presence there, I think, would have been seen as a as a negative by the mm-hmm. rest of the sphere, by competitors. It would have been, you know, really drilled in on. But the fact that everybody is in the same position, I think it's given us this permission to disrupt and kind of an opportunity to really shake things up without a lot of the negative consequences um, or impacts that might have happened if we had disrupted not on a level playing field. Right. Um, I think that's been a really interesting and positive part of this experience is, is allowing ourselves to really rethink and um do things because they are the right things, not just because that's how we've always done them. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, I think just kind of circling back, I think, I think this idea of a lot of people getting together on, on one basis. I mean, I find the manufacturing industry in particular, such a face-to-face industry. It's all about networking. I think because it's so small, everybody knows everybody. I go to a trade show and it's like a family reunion. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you see the same people there year after year after year. Um, which is a wonderful part of it. But so I think we're going to still have to find a way to, to make those connections and, and strengthen those relationships in a different way. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point about the, the kind of the competitive pressure to show up at these big trade shows. Some of you may remember Daratech, which went away a long time ago now. I mean, they, they faded away a long time ago, but there used to always be this annual pressure and when we started at TechSoft in the late 90, 96, you kind of had to be there to be considered real. And then once you were there, it was almost like a drug and you couldn't stop because if you didn't show up again, suddenly everyone's wondering what's going on with them. I think they're in trouble. You know, your competitors start talking. Right. So, and I used to always look at that and think if we could all just decide to stop coming, then <laughs> this would all be, this would all go away, but yet we're all paying the tithe in order to, to do it. And eventually I'm not sure really what happened. I think a couple of big players got unhappy, pulled out and that gave everyone else the the cover to, to say, yeah, all right, we're out. You guys should all stop going because you just sell software. But, uh, but for us, the trade shows have a, have a real function because people do need to see our products. In fact, because we don't do sort much outside sales, it's the only way people mm. see uh, our products often. So Right, so trade shows is uh, we are we're looking forward to, to those coming. It's back. hard for your sales team to carry a, a printer around and the materials and plunk it down for a demo. I can see well, that. that's kind of what our competitors yeah. do, but yeah. uh, it's 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 possible when you know there's a total of ten or twenty thousand dollars you can spend well, selling the product. Remember, it's not, not possible when you spend a thousand dollars selling your product. Yeah, well, trade shows and working remotely. This will be definitely uh, one of the biggest change based on COVID. I can give example. My son is working in the city in Manhattan. They have like 150 people there, one and a half million dollar rent a year. COVID put everybody at home and somebody said, hey, we don't need it. Mm -hmm. It's like, we don't need it. 
So they are now going to sublease. That nobody is going back to the office. Now, when you were working in, uh, you know, in Ford on the assembly line, it might happen somewhere when robotics will take complete, you know, control on our life. It will happen. But then we're talking about supply chain. So mm-hmm. assembly line is the last part. I mean, in, in making the uh, assembled product. But even trade shows, and, and you, you mentioned Daratech, and I remember, well, IMTS used to be Autofac, right. like a couple of years ago. One year Detroit, one year Chicago. Now at least it's every two years. Mm-hmm. So IMTS canceled this year, but I did presentation for this IMTS last week. And we are having a another big trade show remotely, virtually in Netherlands on October 13. Mm-hmm. So most probably trade show will become virtual. It's like you are there, but you are not there. So it become more of virtual reality that people can meet together. It's not a replacement or face-to-face and, and, hey, I remember it for last year, and you put your booth, and I know exactly where Mastercam booth is in, tra- in, in IMTS. Mm-hmm. It's like exactly where I know exactly because every year it's in the same place. It's the, it's the booth with all the big crowds. That's, that's the one. That's how you can tell. And you uh-huh. see people on your, in your left side, on your right side, hi, how, how are you? Like, hey, stories for the last two years. Right. That's going to change probably. Uh, but it's time, it's time to change, no doubt about it. Max, if trade shows aren't the thing for you, like if that's the way you sell, what other, what other things have you think won't well, go back? So I think, um, I, I yeah, my comment earlier was not that they they aren't going to change, but just that for us it is like uh, it is a valuable part um, of how we sell. But yeah, I would say it. It's also an example of where it's accelerating disruption. In general, we rely much less on in-person um, mm-hmm. sales than, than our than our competitors, and um, uh, you know they rely on networks of resellers that are doing mostly outside sales. And we figure out how to sell similar stuff through mostly inside sales. But uh, we have like a couple pieces of we still because it's a physical product and not just like a physical product. It's a physical product that makes more physical things yeah so so showing people the artifacts is fairly important so we rely on like a couple of key points where we show people the artifacts one is trade shows um that that one's hurt but another big one that that we've continued you know going really strong on is sample parts Uh, so we just send out tons and tons of uh sample parts what about you, Mark? What do you think? What do you think we're going to look back on and go? That was crazy that we used to do it that way before we rethought it. So we believe that the the nature of supply chain collaboration is going to be under pressure here because of the pandemic and the remote work from home type of scenarios that we're all seeing. The the lack thereof of true online collaboration is has been a real problem for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And the answer is things like Citrix or, you know, uh, manual workarounds and, and that type of thing, which in the environment, especially if this continues for a prolonged period, even with the vaccine, is not going to enable 
the type of progress on next generation products that's necessary to compete. And so the, uh, the, the companies that actually get out in front of this and are able to put in place better collaboration mechanisms in the design development engineering phase where there's co-design going on, the, the uh, coordination of the various different disciplines, and then uh, the respective release and interface with the manufacturing plants and the suppliers that are feeding those are all going to become critical. And the visibility in the factory, I think, one of the things that we'll look back on in 10 years and say, wow, you know, I, I can't believe it was that way. There's been a lot of data being collected for years and years and years in factory settings. It's, it doesn't get as much analysis as it probably is due. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of management by walking around, if you will, as the, the, let's say layout of the factory is already being changed for social distancing to keep personnel and the, the lower levels of uh, personnel inside the factory walls. As that moves to virtual, it's gonna become self-evident that you need to have the, the type of data feeds, the type of KPIs and whatnot that are necessary to operate in a remote setting. everybody's been talking about it for a long time it it has always been say the next big thing but you just don't see it truly materializing Mm -hmm. i like to say you know people talk about the smart factory i i see a lot more factory than smart Mm -hmm. you really want to take me there (laughs) in terms of because we are much involved in this my presentation was about what well, smart factory is kind of a subset of industry 4.0, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And talking about smart factory on the manufacturing side, let's say it's, it's like, I don't know, in number 10, if you look into mm-hmm. the quality side, is minus five. Because right. when you talk about it, and this is where, and I don't want to say talk about um, you know product and sales, but the biggest problem in the in the supply chain that you mentioned, and we are much involved in it, is the I call it the interpretation. Like you start with OEM that propagate job to tier one and two and then three and then four, and then OEM has no clue who is making this part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that not surprise you probably, right? Mm-hmm. And then the the way of OEM communicate the requirement of a part or an assembly. It's like now they move to MBD, model-based definition. And that's one of the reasons I'm here and we are. And then I'm talking about, okay, model-based definition. Do you know, Mr. Designer, how this part going to be made? What operation going to be happen? How it's going to be inspected? He has no idea. Mm-hmm. What are they providing? They are providing MBD with limited dimension or critical dimension, and now customers are struggling like crazy to do reverse engineering, spending more time, more interpretation, yeah. more assumption. They're so far removed. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not surprised that 1,700 engineers of Boeing visiting daily bases, suppliers to make sure they do the things right. And you ask yourself, why is that? Now they're going to visit less because they cannot fly or they cannot visit. So we are there. We understand this issue. And again, I'm, I don't want to get deeply into the relationship, but this is why we are working with Hoops and we took this, call it model-based definition mystery mm-hmm. and converted it to a knowledge, really how to make the part. Otherwise, it's even become worse. And we're talking about, oh, virtual reality, the smart factory. Actually, the OEM make you more, sorry, stupid than you was before because they give you less information to make what they want. They think mm-hmm. they save, I don't know, 30, 40% of the time not creating drawings. And actually, somebody's making drawings to make the product. Right. I mean, I, mean, I don't see a guy in the shop floor doing roughing and and you know what is roughing, of course, and using 3D model orientation and rotate it, there's not enough information to do it there. So there I think smart. a very basic thing people don't seem to get, I'm sure this, this group understands it, but a very basic thing that people don't understand about drawings today is drawings today is not the way to primarily about transmitting the geometry information. It's primarily human-readable overview of what's what's important about the the part that's being made that conveys all kinds of other information and um i I would love to to kill drawings we waste a ton of time making drawings and you know our printers live in a world that's free of drawings so like it's it's possible but uh yeah i think step or non-drawing systems need like they need to account for the, the human readable part of it. And you sort of do need a document. It doesn't have to be look like a drawing, but you need a document to go along with uh, with the geometry data. Uh, geometry, geometry, you don't need drawing. Geometry, you need CAD model. I don't need anything, but geometry is not enough. You have a lot of GDNT and the description about how to make the part, the true position, uh-uh. Yeah. I'm coming from the treaty, trust me. In 1989, I've been in Chicago. It was a STEP conference in a very nice place. And a guy from STEP said, in two years, nobody will use drawing anymore. Right. Here we are. Right. Okay. Exactly. So it's not going to go because yet it's not practical for geometry. And I agree with you, by the way, when you talk about 3D printing, you don't start from a block and make a part. You start from the raw material to make a part. So it's a different mm-hmm. way of making parts. And so yeah, making it I'm look not, like when Max was making his point about 2D that you you have a point of view on this too. I get the sense that you agree. What what are you? you think, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, I just think in general, you know, the the manufacturing industry. I mean, you're, you're getting that next generation of of users and. You know, there, like you guys said, there's so much more collaboration. So the, the requirement of more information, mm-hmm. the, the more rich that that data is, the easier it is for somebody to take something, understand the context behind it, and turn it into a reality. You know, without without all of that information, it's so difficult to pass a, a, a part or, you know, anything on without someone having a lot of questions or trying to understand it. And, you know, it's all about making it more effective, more efficient, and, and you know, everyone wants that easy button. How do I just... How do I just press go and make it happen? Um, uh, Parks are getting smaller. 
much more complicated. You don't want to do on an assembly line. I mean, iPhone assembly in 20 seconds. You cannot do today with screws for two hours assembling iPhone. Mm-hmm. So now it's point click. So it's, uh, I mean, looking into, I don't know, 7, 747, 800, the new series, 6 million parts, 737, 400,000 parts. Mm-hmm. What happened? Yeah. So what somebody happened? needs to make them, inspect them. They are getting crazy, smaller, much tighter tolerance. So the information on the model or on the geometry is much more detailed than it is supposed to be. If I'm making right. a cup, who cares? But if I need to be part of 80 parts assembly, hey, you should be very, very, very tight tolerance accurate there. So Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting that nobody said, as we look back at what things will seem silly, no one said that we used to do drawings. Everyone has now kind of settled in that drawing, we're, drawings are going to, whoever said that in 1989 was spectacularly wrong. Oh, Mark has a point of view. Maybe well, I was going to add on to that, which is, you know, in 10 years, are we going to say, oh, it, it, you know, it was so silly, the interop problem, you know, that nothing worked with anything else, mm-hmm. right? I mean, part of the, the hitch between not just the collaboration component, but the seamless flow of data from the engineering world mm-hmm. into the manufacturing and quality world is, the the tool not designed to actually have the data be accessible, available, and compatible with whether it's the machines on the floor or the other tools downstream that people are using in the supply chain. And you just wind up with the requirement to to redo work because of the incompatibilities, the vendors are hoping they're going to force people to switch. Right. And it just, it's not happening. Right. This is the same problem for 30 plus. Right. We are very modest saying 30 plus. (laughs) Since outsourcing started. Very plus. Right. I think that's a really good point, though. I think everybody used to work in such a silo and very protective of their data. You know, it was all just very um, kept under wraps. But now, you, I mean, for us, our our biggest focus is is working with partners and making sure that there's that compatibility with with other processes within the manufacturing process because we're just one small piece of it. And if we can't play well with others, our users are not going to be very happy. Right. Right. Our working hypothesis on, on the direction that things need to head is not only is there a diverse set of heterogeneous tools today, but that that's accelerating and expanding because of new breakthroughs in technologies and new capabilities. And you, you need to be able to, this is our play, right? to have a platform layer that has open connectivity where you can bring data together so that you can collaborate, not just within the four walls, but down through the supply chain and out in remote settings and enable new technology insertion as new capabilities emerge. I mean, how is AI ever gonna be effective if the data are locked up and incompatible? And the machine learning algorithms need access to large sets of data without impediment. 
and it needs to be across various different areas and tools not seeing it today mm -hmm. that's one of the problems that we're fundamentally trying to solve here at Eris. yep so this is a nice layer of describing the quality 4.0 industry 4.0 everything is connected which is great and it's adds another layer when you talk about connectivity and i quote i'm going to quote some of our very large customers in france and i visited there last year when we could fly yet <laughs> they're mm -hmm. not getting two weeks in quarantine and he said look before we use our new product i can tell you we had i had a lot of data but i don't have information when i need it mm -hmm. that's it Right, right. So that, you can't generate tons of data, and then it goes to folder A and folder B and, and folder hard copies and whatever it is. And I said, what I'm going to do is this data when I need it. Right. So it's not just about the connectivity. It's about how I can utilize this data when I need it to take decision at the right time. I call it prevention, like not just making parts, and then after my lot is ready, I said, oops, I have a problem here. I would right. like to prepare. So right. that's kind of the connectivity when we talk about it. It's also having information when I need it to get the right decision at the spot. Well, I think we're just about, we just about used up the time that I said we would use 45 minutes, but uh, any other last thoughts beyond Sam's? Anything, you, any point you wanted to make, Max, that, you didn't have a chance to say? Uh, no, I'm just mostly curious to hear um, everyone else's perspective. So thank you all for sharing. How about you, Mark? I, I would just finish by saying the, the points that we've discussed, one around collaboration and, and remote, uh, two about reorganization of the supply chains and and changing responsibilities and the uh, associated with the the different levels of value that the supply chain is delivering up the, the value chain and three about the interoperability and and collab uh, the ability to bring lots of different disparate data together I mean that those core challenges are, the obstacles that you have to get out of the way in order to then realize the the redefinition of the supply chain the redistribution of the work for you know changing product composition and and really that's the the digital thread if you will type of traceability that's necessary for uh, the, the future scenarios. And I mean, that's the, we think that that's the opportunity for manufacturers to really change the way they're operating so that they're able to take advantage of new breakthroughs in technologies and deliver more value for their customers, ultimately improving margins and profitability. Gotcha. How about you, Megan? Any last thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of it, really, it's it's about the user's experience and the fact that they have to work with so many different products and, and pieces to get the job done. It's it's our job to figure out how to 
improve our um, piece of that experience and making sure that that at the end of the day, it's seamless from start to finish. So, so I think all of that technology, all of these opportunities, it's really driven by that end goal of, of improving that experience. Makes sense. That's great. Speaking of experience, this was a great experience. I'll be sure to be calling on you all again once there's another topic that uh, you have something to contribute to. But thanks a lot for joining the conversation. Great bunch of folks. And I look forward to being back to the point where we can meet in person. That would be great. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast, hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft 3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.